I just want to say, this is the first time I've remembered to turn my microphone on before I walked up here. Thank you. First time. First time. Then the last time, yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. Uh, this is, uh, if you don't know, this is my probably the last sermon I will ever preach. Isn't that strange? A strange thing to think about? And honestly, I had a, a little bit of a difficult time uh, writing it. I've known today was coming up for, for months, but actually sitting down and, and researching and, and writing and figuring out what God has to say made it much more real that this was my last one. So I have a list of people I have grievances against. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> we'll start with you. Um, most of you know that I began a, a process of, of really changing careers a, a number of months ago. Just to reassure everyone, yes, I do have a job in January uh, with a large tech company doing software ad subscription business-to-business -business sales. Uh, and I'm excited about it, and it's going to be a good, good career change for our family. Um, I know there's been uh, a few people who've been praying for my family and I, and I want to say thank you um, and know that prayer does seem to work. So uh, keep it up. <laughs> keep it up, please. Uh, and I've had a, the absolute privilege to, to walk with teenagers and their families uh, through life and their individual journeys of faith for, for about 25 years. Seven of them here at Good Shepherd. And, and it's been an absolute, total honor and, and, a, and a privilege to, to do this. And I want to be clear, though, that though I am changing careers and vocations, I do not believe that uh, God has changed my call. My call is the same as every follower of Jesus in this room and in this world. And has been the same since the Christ child was born to us. It is to sit at the foot of the cross. Like Mary, choosing to do what is best, given our resources, given our circumstances, to seek wisdom in community and to listen. To listen to that voice that whispers in the wind that voice that weaves through the noise of the world saying, come and follow me. Will you pray with me this morning? Hey, Pops. It's us again. We want to see your wonders. Amen. This sermon series in this time of Advent, uh, we remember the words of the prophet Isaiah. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. We will call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. I think part of my roadblock for, for writing was really the focus of this morning's name. This Messiah child, this name, this title that Isaiah gives this kid, Everlasting Father. I am a father. I have three incredible miracle kids.
Hudson is uh, in the fifth grade. Harry, we call Bear, uh, is in the fourth grade. And Valentina, 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 <laughs> Valentina, Valentina. Uh, I actually call her Vivi Las Vegas, and I sing to her and go, Vivi Las Vegas, and she hates it. But I will, <laughs> I will continue to do it for her entire life. Um, my kids are awesome, but honestly, as a dad, I'm, I'm probably mediocre at best. Mediocre at best. And I'm not trying to, to like humble brag or, or, or be like self-deprecating. I'm just trying to be real and just trying to be honest as we get into the scriptures this morning. See, I love my family. I love my kids. But I am gloriously inept at fatherhood and gloriously probably inept at, at maybe even adulthood. <laughs> that wasn't a joke. <laughs> Kidding. I, you know, I try, I try, I know, but, but I'm going to mess my kids up in so many ways. Uh, for example, my oldest is very inquisitive. He's the kid that's always asking why, but why, Dad, but why, but why? And as a toddler, he was a very early riser. When I say very early, I mean like 4 a.m., right? Which really, for me, is paramount to torture, okay? <laughs> And so one morning, it was my turn to be up with Hudson, and we walked in the back of our condo. We lived in Glendora at the time, and we walked on this green belt, and uh, the sun was coming up at way too early in the morning, 30, and the moon was going down, and he says, Daddy, where does the moon go each morning? And being this warm-hearted man full of care and sentimental wisdom, I told him that the moon dies every morning. <laughs> Just like a little part of me dies when you wake up this early, son. Dad of the year, huh? I've heard it said, and I can totally agree, that uh, parenting is, is like living in a dive bar. Who's been to a dive No, you don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> raise your hand. It, where everyone's yelling, right? There's a fight off to the side. Uh, your shoes stick to the floor. The same music plays over and over and over again, and inevitably someone throws up in the corner. Right? That's just life. And that's when the kids are at school, and it's just Kate and I. <laughs> I also fully realize that it can be really challenging to be my own personal kids for my children. See, I know me. I, I'm a straight shooter, even though I do aim from the hip. And I too often can expect my children to be the same because I want them to be strong. I want them to be tough in the face of life's challenges. The way I figure it is there are a lot of animals that God created that actually eat their young. So my kids are getting off way or easy, right? <laughs> way easy. But too often I, I see my own children as these extensions of my own desires for them rather than their own, having their own individual desires for life. And if you haven't noticed, I have a rather large personality. <laughs> and, and I can be intimidating. And I can unwittingly even scare my own children sometimes when I am angry. If you don't know, if, if you've ever seen me angry, uh, then you haven't seen me angry. It can be quite dramatic, loud, boisterous, especially if my kids aren't listening to me. It, it's like the word no 
really means if I keep saying it, dad's going to say yes, right? I'm sure none of you have ever had that problem. <laughs> I'm sure none of you were like that as children. Actually, I'm not even sure all of you were children at one point. <laughs> I think some of you came out of the womb like little men and women. Suit and tie. It was hot in there. That was an awkward joke, huh, Curtis? <laughs> I, I know it's part of growing up, part of, of learning life, but it really drives me up the wall when they don't listen. And I have to repeat the same thing over and over again. I have to repeat the same thing over and over again. I have to repeat the same thing over and over again. You know how I feel? It, it, it's, okay, this morning's really going to be a therapy session for me. That's all we're going to do. After all, I'm their father and the ultimate authority in their life, right? Right? <laughs> Thank you. You guys make me feel better. You see, in the, um, Prophet Isaiah calls this child the everlasting father. In the ancient world, like many cultures still today, to be the paterfamilias or the male head of the household was a great honor and responsibility, and it came with many perks. You were in charge. When you spoke, others listened, and everyone followed your lead. In these male-dominated cultures, it didn't matter if the male head of the household was wrong or misguided or selfish or even abusive. He was in charge. In Western society today, even though us males have many advantages in many ways. Women are of equal worth and, and stature and power and authority, and I thank God for that. Because we've come a long way since then. And, and life is better because of it. But even with you wise and amazing women and you amazing men, when it comes to being an adult, we have a pretty poor reputation with kids and teenagers. I don't mean they hate us. They don't think we're evil, although some of us really are. But our kids see more than we think they do. Not many know this, um, but over the last year and a half, I went through this uh, pretty significant time of a deep depression. Uh, I don't know why I felt the way I did, um, but I know that for much of that time, I felt like I was in the bottom of a dark pit and totally useless to absolutely everyone around me. And honestly, it was all I could do many days just to get out of my own bed, let alone to show up and play with my kids. So I retreated into my garage, tinkering with broken things that I found, trying to make them useful again. I think in a way, hoping and praying that whatever was broken inside of me could be salvaged and I'd be useful again. I didn't know what to do. I was numb. I felt like wasted space. I felt like a worthless dad. 
the total opposite of this picture of an everlasting father figure, always ready to protect, to lead, to defend, and to help. Now I thank God that I am on the other side of that depression. It was a difficult, probably the most difficult time in my life. If you've ever struggled with depression, you know the debilitating and, and powerless feeling. It's like you want to pull yourselves up by your bootstraps, but you don't have any boots on, and you can't feel your hands anyway. You've lost all of that feeling. If you find yourself in that now, know that there is hope. There is light. There is strength. There is goodness in life out there, even when it seems like everything around us is death or, or despair or, or destruction or hate or whatever it is that's dragging you down, there is hope. For me, there's hope to be a better father and, honestly, a better grown-up. To be the kind of grown-up that my kids and your kids deserve to have. The kind of grown-up that I had forgotten I could be. Or maybe thought I never could be. Understand that Isaiah was talking about Jesus when he was talking about this everlasting father. Not because Isaiah was gender-biased and, and, and wanted to start a theological debate or, or about the personhood of the Trinity um, with Jesus being the father. How could the son be the father and the father be the son? If anyone tries to trap me in a theological debate after this, I'm getting medieval on you. Right? <laughs> When the prophet spoke of Jesus as his everlasting father, even a child born to us is the ultimate grown-up that we need to be striving to be more like. Many of us have forgotten, to what, uh, forgotten what it means to be the actual grown-ups in the room. I, I, when did we even become the grown-ups? Do you remember the time you transitioned into grown-up? That day, second, hour? How often do you feel prepared for life, grown-ups? How often do you feel confident that everything is always going to be go the way you planned? How often do you feel in control? If you do feel in control of your life, I envy you. because it sounds like a nice place to be. The rest of us experience a different reality if we're honest about being a grown-up. You see, our culture tells us that growing up is, is like being a butterfly. At first, as a kid, you're like this helpless, misshapen, wormy thing and, and that just eats and sleeps all day, right? But one day, child, you will emerge from your cocoon and be a beautiful butterfly. Then you're an adult, a beautiful butterfly. And then we remind them that being that helpless, misshapen, wormy thing is really easy. Eat and sleep, right? Because as a butterfly, I have lots of responsibilities. I have to work hard, and I have to work a lot to take care of you, and I also have to complain a lot about working so hard. And when I don't work hard, I have to find something else to complain about. It's a wonder why grown-ups are so tired all the time. It's exhausting to always find something wrong in the world around us all the time. 
teach our kids this. And we teach our kids that not all butterflies are the same. That butterflies have to keep to their own kind of butterflies. And they have to hate other kinds of butterflies. Especially ones that look different. Especially ones that, are, that sound different. That are different kinds of butterflies. Especially those liberal butterflies. Especially those conservative butterflies. If you look around, the grown-ups that often want to be or are pretending to be in charge are often the ones that really shouldn't be in charge. I'm not talking about Curtis, don't laugh. <laughs> if as a grown-up you have no idea how to relate to a kid or to a teenager, you're not alone. It's really difficult to have an intergenerational relationship, but it's not kids and teenagers' fault. It's not because kids and teenagers smell weird. They do sometimes. It's not because they dress in odd ways. They definitely do, or speak in these unintelligible foreign language, but somehow using the same words that we know, but still can't understand a word that they're saying. It's not because of the internet it's not because they play video games or have their nose in their phone 24 hours a day. Do you know why we adults have such a hard time relating to kids and teenagers? Do you know why? We forgot that we were just like them. We've forgotten. You were once a kid. Remember? What was your favorite toy? What's your favorite game? Who did you play with after school? You were once a teenager, trying to figure out your place in the world. This world ran by grown-ups who often, too often, have their own interests in mind. What was your passion? What did you want to do? What did you want to accomplish when you were 18 years old? And did you? And as kids, all the grown-ups reminded us that one day, we too would emerge from our cocoon and become these beautiful butterflies and would not, never again be these useless, wormy thingies. We tricked ourselves. We tricked ourselves into, into thinking that we've become beautiful butterflies. And, and we'll keep repeating the cycle over and over and over again, just like I have to say the same thing to my kids over and over and over and over again. The problem with this beautiful butterfly metaphor is that it's self-limiting. It, it really assumes that once you become a butterfly, once you're an adult, you have it all together. You have control over your life. So kids turn 18. They think they are going to have it all together then. You've seen the confidence. Off to college, right? Then they find out. They find out that some adults have significant advantage over other adults only because they were born in a different place than they were. That some adults are taken advantage of in different ways because they have a different gender or a different skin color or because their parents have so much money they don't even have to pay taxes and they live in a certain zip code. Whatever it is, life 
isn't fair. And all of us grown-up butterflies fly around pretending to control our destiny, to pretending to be in control and in charge of our lives when all we're doing is really flapping our wings and allowing any gust of wind to blow us in any direction and saying, oh, I meant to go there. I meant to go there. I don't know about you, but some days um, I don't feel like a beautiful butterfly. I feel more like that butterfly that was stuck in your radiator grill um, <laughs> after a long road trip, you know? But road trips are really what I'm going to miss in youth ministry. I've had so many incredible adventures with kids. If you've ever been on a trip with me, uh, you know that on the ride home, there's a time that students often call the turn. Okay? They don't mean the turn as in we're turning home. They mean Josh. He turned. It's the time we're about half way through, I'm tired, I'm grumpy, I'm dirty, and I want to go home, take a shower, and take a nap, and don't want to hear one more song from the Pop 40 playlist. <laughs> I admit it, I, I am no fun to be around after the turn, that second half of the drive home. But those trips are always worth it. They're always worth it. It's always worth the, the hard work on, on missions trips. When you take a group of kids that have never, ever picked up a hammer before and alongside their peers build a house. It's worth it when we, um, <clears throat> we stay up late talking around the campfire. <laughs> when we're exhausted because we all slept in hammocks the whole week. I actually sleep pretty well in a hammock. They complain about it, but, you know, they got to be more like me. <laughs> Tough. I don't know. See, it's always worth the effort because even though it's hard, even though it's difficult, even though it's draining, it changes kids' lives when adults show up. And that's all you have to do. Just show up instead of just telling kids to grow up. Do you know the real re reason why teenagers are so immature? Does anyone know the real reason? Because they're teenagers. They're not grown up. They're still growing. They're immature by, for a reason, because they are maturing, right? It's always confused me why we are so adamant in our culture today about preparing our children for adulthood by turning them into little mini versions of ourselves. And we're confused or disappointed when they don't act or think like adults because they're not. And they don't need to be. They just need to be kids with adults investing, guiding, protecting leading them, and, and being able to be a kid, it creates a foundation for a healthy adulthood. And the crazy kicker that is too often, that too often is that the grown-ups in the room, we too often act like the immature children, throwing temper tantrums when we don't get our way. I've done it before. I'm sure you have too. Remember, kids know and see 
much more than we give them credit for. You know what, they see much more than they give themselves credit for. Jesus was on to something when he said that we need to come to God like little kids. Because kids have superpowers that we have forgotten. One of the um, things I'm, I'm really impatient with um, and honestly need, need to repent and need to work on more is uh, I get so frustrated when my kids don't transition well. It's like we started trying to leave the house a week and a half ago, and all we're doing is going to school on a Tuesday, and there's still a kid without shoes on, a kid that needs one more thing, or some kid's crying, or maybe I'm crying in the car. I, I don't do well with that. I get frustrated. I get angry. It's like, um, what it would change, though, if I remembered? What would change if I stopped forgetting what it was like to be a kid? That for my kids and for every single kid, the world is still a new wonder for them. Can you imagine living every day as a new day? Every day brings new things, new sensations, new abilities, new experiences, new sounds, textures, tastes. They're all swept up in it all until they become like us boring adults because we've been there, we've seen that, we've done that, and now we're just trying to get through to the next thing to get that done with as well. I want to be a better grown-up for my kids. I want to... <clears throat> I want to make the world a place where kids get to do their job, to be kids. And us adults, us grown-ups, we step up and do our job, to show up, to show up in their lives so that they become better adults than us. I hope my kids are better than I am. That's not a very high bar to expect. but. I think that's every parent's dream and every adult's dream is that the next generation is better off, does better, does better than we did, has more abilities, resources, whatever it is, is better. And Jesus is the ultimate grown-up in the room. And we're all children pretending to be grown-up. We're definitely not beautiful butterflies. But we are Lobsters. I'm sorry, what? Sorry. We're actually more like lobsters. <laughs> Follow me. Okay? Follow me. Lobsters grow from the inside out. When their insides get bigger and more mature than their outsides, than their shell, they break out of their shell, peeling it from their body so that they become bigger and better and more mature. This process is, is painful for the lobster. Uh, the process is dangerous because they're vulnerable at that time of growth. It's not pretty if you've ever seen a lobster come out of its shell, but they do it every year. We all know those adults who never grew up. I don't mean like the fun ones like me. I'm a 
immature in different ways. I, I mean the ones that, that never matured past adolescence. In many ways, each and every one of us is, is holding on to something from our youth. We try to live in these glory days of our youth, of the past. And too many of us are trying to stay in a shell that we've outgrown years ago when we were young, and that shell doesn't fit anymore. We don't want to leave the shell behind. We like the shell. Other people like the shell. I'll fit in a size four shell if you like it or not. Right? Do you know what lobsters do with their old shells? Does anyone know? They eat them. Weird, huh? They eat their old shells. It's like they allow their past to nurture to feed, to inform their future. They don't try to stay in their old shells. They, they don't put them on the wall like trophies or, or, or worthless relics. Your past, my past, all of our past is important. Your future is important. But your present is the only thing that you actually have to help a kid become better than you are. God's kids, my kids, your kids need us to be better grown-ups. Grown-ups like Jesus was. Giving. Sacrificial. Caring. Honest. Angry at injustice. Willing to do what the right thing even if it puts us behind everyone else. At least that's the advice I would give if I was the everlasting father. So good shepherd, thank you. Thanks for allowing me to be part of your journey, to be part of your growth. My hope and prayer is that you will always be a people willing to grow into what God has already made you into be. To always, always be awesome grown-ups. And to always let kids be kids. Will you pray with me one last time? Pops, may our children and grandchildren and generations beyond those that will eventually forget our names be forever impacted by the legacy we leave when we start acting like adults and let kids be kids. Amen.